Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and if you're a regular listener, you'll know all about this podcast, so you can skip forward about 30 seconds. For newcomers, My Time Capsule is the podcast where I ask my guests to tell me the five things from their life that they'd like to have in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish or would like to have again, but they also pick one thing that they'd like to forget, something they'd like to bury in the ground and never think of again. Right, welcome back to The People Who Skipped. My guest today is the actor and comedian Nina Wadia. So again, if you know all about Nina, you won't need to listen to this bit. And you can again skip forward. Uh, about a minute, I'd say. Right, for the rest of you, Nina came to prominence in the comedy TV show Goodness Gracious Me, then the Just for Carrot sitcom All About Me, and eventually the opportunity to be in a show that didn't end in the word me came along, and she joined the cast of EastEnders, playing Zainab Masood. She did this for six years, but has also been in 2.4 Children, The Vicar of Dibley, Holby City, Chambers, Waking the Dead, Citizen Khan, Death in Paradise, Doctor Who, Finding Fatima, Still Open All Hours, Murder in Mind, Doctors and New Tricks, amongst others. She was a presenter on the chat show Loose Women and was in the E14 drama Skins. And she's also had roles in films such as I Can't Think Straight, Code 46, Sixth Happiness, Namaste London and Bend It Like Beckham. Nina was a contestant in the 19th series of Strictly Come Dancing where, annoyingly, she came in, did some dancing and then went home again. She was in the BBC World Service soap Westway and has also played the role of Ariel in Shakespeare's The Tempest on BBC Radio 3. Nina won Best Comedy Performance at the British Soap Awards as well as Best On-Screen Partnership with Nitin Ganatra and in 2013 was awarded the Outstanding Achievement in Television Award at the Asian Awards. Her services to television and charity earned her an OBE in 2021. So there you are. Here is the lovely Nina Wadi. So OBE, Nina. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or as my son calls it, OB1. <laughs> oh, but, brilliant, though. What a thing to get. That was uh, a big surprise, I'll be honest. It was such a surprise that I um, put the phone down on the gentleman who was telling me that I was about to get it. <laughs> oh, um, wow. I thought I was being pranked, so... Um, and then realised quite quickly that I wasn't. Mm. <laughs> um, felt very embarrassed. And he said, you're not the first person who's done this to me. <laughs> I'm sure. But it was, yeah, it was a, out of the blue, but it felt um, incredibly special and mm. exciting and um, and much needed after the pandemic. <laughs> but how lovely to be recognised that way. 
It, it was. It was. But because thing is, you know, look, I'm I'm a jobbing actor like like most of us. So mm. to me, it's like, well, you know, if one jobbing actor gets it, everyone should get it. Because to be honest, I think the OBE should be for how hard it is to last in this business <laughs> <laughs> and just keep going. That is, to be honest, the hardest thing out of the career, you know, that I've found. So I do wish that there was an OBE just for every actor, just for trying to stay in the profession. <laughs> yeah, maybe more difficult for uh, female actors. Yes, definitely. Well, I, I mean, there was a joke that, um, you know, when, when everyone was starting to talk about how difficult it is for ethnic actors, mm. uh, I think, I can't remember who I was with, and they said, Gosh, he goes, so you're brown, you're a woman. He said, if you were a lesbian with one leg, he said, you'd tick every single box right now. <laughs> you'd be perfect. <laughs> you'd be but absolutely finally, perfect. But, but it's yeah. taken a while though, hasn't it? Yeah, genuinely it has. And it's still it's still going. It's just pushing boundaries. And, and of course now as I'm getting older, you know, that's another barrier. It just It just feels like... You know, at some point it has to stop, but yeah. and you have to stop having to prove yourself. You know, there's jobs I go up for still with like maybe two scenes in a big project, and I mm -hmm. still have to audition. And I'm thinking, yeah. come on, man, 34 years of this. At some point, you've got to believe I can actually act. <laughs> so, no, no, it happens all the time. Yeah, I go through phases more and more as I'm getting older. I'm thinking. Actually, I just want to travel the world and have a good time. That's what I want to do. I don't feel like I need to prove anything anymore. Well, in a way, it's why I started this, because it's it's in my own control. Yes. I'm in charge of it. Yeah. And what we do on it and what goes out, it's down to me. So yeah. I make the decisions. And I, that's a rare thing as an actor, of course, isn't it? Yes, very much so. Very much yeah. so it is. And you must really enjoy it you get to speak oh. to so many different types of people different walks of life and things that they've achieved it's, it must be exciting it is exciting and and all sorts of ages and as yeah. you say ethnicities and yeah. all sorts of careers that people have had yeah. actors sports people almost every interview I've done and I don't think of them as interviews actually I just think of them yeah. as conversations and I've really enjoyed them oh brilliant I love chatting with people I yeah. always have you know <laughs> who doesn't yes true <laughs> So suddenly here I am doing it and amazingly other people like to listen in. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's doing very well. I've heard a few and it's a lovely thing you do with your time capsules. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, it brings out a different side of things, I think. Yeah. Because I'm not asking you to tell me. I mean, everybody knows you've been in EastEnders and everybody yeah. knows about Goodness Gracious Me. And yeah. I remember you turning up at the BBC Radio Christmas party. So that oh, yeah. would be when you were doing Goodness Gracious Me on the radio. And I oh, remember meeting gosh. you then. And that's oh, when, wow. in the early 90s, isn't it? Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. That was my first sort of foray into anything outside, really, of theatre. Because, you know, I, I trained in theatre, I started mm. in theatre. And then, goodness gracious me, was this sort of very fresh new thing that came my way. And when my agent said, oh, they're trying to do this to get it on television, mm. I was so nervous because I've never <laughs> done TV before. And I thought, do I really want to work in television? <laughs> Famous last words. Yeah. <laughs> we barely got back to theatre after that. So now I'm just excited when theatre comes my way. I'm like, yes, come on, but finally yeah. back home. <laughs> yeah, first love. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm. Out of all the mediums, I will always go back to that. That is the, that is kind of where I get excited and I'm, I'm happiest, mm. genuinely. But you must come up there again against barriers in as much as people sort of go, well, you've done a lot of television, but can you do theatre? Yeah, it's so interesting you say that because that is exactly what happens. You know, mm. like, they want me for theatre, but only in the kind of jobs they think I can do in theatre. What they don't know is I trained in classical acting and Shakespeare's mm. my first love. And I love still, if I'm, before I'm too old, I want to play Kate in Taming of the Shrew. Oh, and yeah. no one is interested because they're like, oh, she probably can't do that. She's a TV girl. So how interesting. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We were just talking about Tracy Ann Oberman before yeah. we started, and she's done some extraordinary things recently. And I think you can. I think if you push in the right directions and make people aware of the fact that you want to do these things, hopefully that will open up for you because oh, it, be I'd nice. love to see you play Kate. Oh, I would love to do her. She's such a great character, you yeah. know, especially coming from my background. She was one of the first female characters that I completely fell in love with because I just thought, wow, you know, she's 
of course she's called a shrew because she has a mind of her own. <laughs> you know, mm. it's like when we moved from India and then Hong Kong and then to here to the UK, you know, I realized that strong women do exist, you know, women who kind of run the household and mm. actually genuinely live their lives the way they want to live their lives. Yes. And I didn't even think that was a thing. <laughs> it was That was a very new concept to me. But still to this day, the process of somebody like that saying, no, yeah. no, I'm not going to do what you tell me. And yeah. that, that for many women is still a problem. Men think they can just tell women what to do. It's true. <laughs> they still do in most of the world, in fairness. Mm. But... <laughs> But this is it's it's nice to actually be somewhere where everyone's equal, you know, and you yes. can have your say and and the world is changing in that direction. Mm. It is it's going in the right direction finally. Yes, I hope so. I think yeah. so. It's always possible for things to be knocked back. Absolutely. As we've seen in other parts of the world, if we've seen in Afghanistan more recently. Oh, completely. So. And, you know, I mean, I, I do a lot of stuff with Amnesty. And, you know, when I took part in that campaign for Saudi women, for mm-hmm. just basically being arrested and tortured for, for driving a car. Terrible. And I just think, sorry, is that, that's really happening? And you just think, my goodness, you, know, you, you feel so safe away from it all, but at the same time, you, your heart breaks to think what these women and their families must go through. Mm, particularly with the knowledge of what is happening in other parts of the world. Yeah. For many centuries, for most of the existence of humankind, really, you would be living in isolation. You wouldn't know that there was an alternative. Yes. But now... They know that large parts of the world go, no, actually, there's equality. There should be equality. Yes, completely. Um, So it's it's pushing for that in the right ways. I mean, it's one of the things that when my career started taking off, I wanted to make sure that I joined forces with organisations or companies that do actually do right by people, especially women and especially children. I fight a lot for those kind of causes because they mean something to me. Mm. You know, with mum, my mum sadly passed away with organ failure. So I'm part of the NHS and the organ donation campaigns that they do. And with my dad, dad was an orphan out in India, but I never knew how I could go back to that particular orphanage. I didn't know if it existed anymore. So I decided to join Bernardo's here, you know, Uh, because I thought, okay, that's a way of giving back for that. mm. So I think it's important that people do find some kind of purpose and meaning uh, for their life in some way. Mm -hmm. I think the pandemic has pushed people to to wake up to that fact and do things because they realized life's too short. And actually, what have I done with my life so far? I mean, the amount of those conversations I've had with the mums I go for walks with, with our little dogs and things, you know, it's <laughs> it's interesting to actually see that our conversations change from, oh gosh, hasn't school blazer got really expensive to, <laughs> you know, hey, did you know that they're opening a kind of volunteer station? Do you want to go and hand out some soup? It is really interesting to me that that's happened, but it took something like the pandemic to wake people up. Mm. And my husband said the other day, he said, wouldn't it be brilliant if Every year, at the end of every year, everything has to shut down for a whole month because what happened to us in that time that we had to all shut down was we reset ourselves. (laughs) And I found that a, a really brilliant and good thing to do. (laughs) And you had to relearn to notice the people around you because they were the only people. I think that was what I took from it was that I realised how much I treasured the other members of my family I couldn't see during that period. I realised how precious they were to me. And that really made me determined that I would take every opportunity to see them. Completely. And because this was a global pandemic, you know, you look around the world and you realize, actually, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter who you are. At the end of the day, because it was such a leveling thing to happen in the world, Mm. you realize that everyone just wants love and a family. That's it really. They just want to feel like they belong somewhere and Mm -hmm. that there are people they can rely on. And that's what really brought us all together, you know, in a big way. And now, again, I see it all starting to kick off. Everyone's back to their busy lives. Everyone's back to rushing around, trying to achieve this, that, and the other. And you just think, what for? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what do you get at the end of it? That's my quest right now. I want to know, what is it all for? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's examine your life then through okay. the things that you've chosen to put into a time sure. capsule and see if that gives us a clue to okay. where you're going and what it's for for you. Okay, so what's the first thing you'd like to put in? The first thing I'd like to put in is a videotape 
of my teenage years growing up in Hong Kong because they were some of the most fun times of my life. I still am friends with everyone I went to school with, especially that close group of friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've been through our lives together because the world became smaller. So Mm. I just want to put a tape of how happy I was at that time and how those connections have formed who I am for the rest of my life. Mm. What led your parents to move from India then to Hong Um, Kong? My dad, who was uh, with the airlines, he was offered a job to run an Indian restaurant in Hong Kong. (laughs) And he just wanted to do something different. And it all happened very quickly. And I was nine years old and I was told, right, in about three months, we're all moving to Hong Kong. And I was like, (laughs) what? (laughs) But unlike my sister, who was very upset about this, my brother and myself, we were very excited because we always liked different things, new things. Mm. So I suddenly went from this one bed flat with seven people in it in India, which, by the way, I was perfectly happy in, to being so excited that I only had to share a room with my brother and sister (laughs) (laughs) in this two bed flat in Hong Kong. And suddenly being around this different culture and different people, people I'd never met before. And that was my first taste of actually British people because I ended up going to an English school, foundation school, an ESF mm-hmm. school, in which is basically uh, English study board. So did you grow up speaking English? or was Yeah, that- I grew up speaking because I, oh my gosh, my, my school in India was one of the last remaining schools run by Scottish Presbyterian nuns. <laughs> it was set up in 1852. It was called Bombay Scottish Orphanage High School, BSOHS. Wow. And so I grew up and I used to get whacked on my knuckles if I spoke (laughs) with an Indian accent. (laughs) I had to speak proper English. (laughs) How understanding of them. Oh, I know. It was quite an experience, (laughs) can I tell you? So that school I wasn't that fond of. But then I went from there to this island school, it was called, in Hong Kong. And I discovered the sea and I realised how much I love being near water. And mm-hmm. my I just remember my address in Hong Kong, which I'd probably pop in with this video, <laughs> which was 4A Seahorse Lane, Discovery Bay, Lantau Island, Hong Kong. Oh, what an address. <laughs> and I thought nothing can beat that. That was no. for me, this little girl from India that was like, where am I now? Look at Discovery this. Discovery Lane. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> and then the best part, I mean, this whole time, by the way, in Hong Kong, I was waitressing from the age of about 11 for my parents in the restaurant, mm, which course, I loved, yeah. you know, yeah. but I'm sure it was usually illegal. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> But what an exciting place Hong Kong was then. Not that I know it now, sadly. I've not been there recently. But I went to Hong Kong with a theatre show when I was about, I suppose I've been about 29. Amazing. I had young children by then. But we went and did St. Joan and the Tempest. Oh, wow. And now I know you have a connection with the Tempest. I do. You've done an aerial, haven't you? That's right. Yes, I did an aerial. Mm. But it was years and years and years ago. And it was on radio. It was on radio because, um, Ah. yeah, I never got to do it on stage. Um, Mm. But, oh, my gosh, it was such an honour to have been asked to play Ariel in that. It was one of the best productions on BBC Radio I'd ever done because it combined my absolute love of Shakespeare and then suddenly it was on radio. It was wild. Yeah, thrilling. So in my production, it was Jane Lapotere played St. Joan and Anthony Quayle played Prospero. What? Mm. My God, that is so cool. (laughs) It was cool. But I have wonderful memories of being there and going to the market. That thing of, for the first time in your life, seeing skyscrapers where all the scaffolding is bamboo. Yes. I'd stare at it for hours thinking, how did this stand up? But of course it makes complete sense. Completely, yeah. And then we went out onto the China Sea in a junk yeah. And sailed about and oh, it was just Oh, gorgeous. well, we used to have junk parties from school. So uh, it's the first, I think that's one of the bravest first things I ever did, which is probably the second thing I might put in my time capsule. Right. Was this memory of, I wasn't a very good swimmer. I still am not a very good swimmer, but mm. I do love the sea and I love water. And it was this junk party and we would all have to climb up to the second level of this junk in the night in black and <sighs> jump into the sea. Oh, my word. That's one of the first very brave things I ever remember doing. Mm. (laughs) That'll definitely be in the video. (laughs) (laughs) I'll put that in the video. I'll go special night vision. (laughs) Uh, Yes, I remember, but only in the daytime. The same thing, jumping off that level into the sea. Beautiful sea and then swimming to the shore. 
Yes. Oh, oh marvellous. Gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And I, my whole time there, I just remember it with such fondness. And also I didn't have what I call life burdens, you know, once you have your children and mm-hmm. this and that. You'd, there's no worries. I was so free. It was mm. just lovely, absolutely lovely. Lovely. Well, I put a very long extended video <laughs> of you and all, you, <laughs> all the things you got up to in your teenage years in Hong Kong. <laughs> And some of it you'll only want to watch on your own, I should imagine. <laughs> yes, actually, yes. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. So that is the first thing then. And it yes. includes that jumping into the sea. So that's all right. Perfect. So what would be number two? Gosh. So number two would be uh, another memory. Um, mm. Jumping off the mountain next to Sugarloaf in Rio in Brazil. Oh. Hang gliding off that. Oh, my God. That was, again, another moment in my life that I will never forget because I discovered, and I don't know, sound, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I discovered something. Anytime I do something that's different in life, I think, how can I use this in my acting? <laughs> and what I remember was when we finally, finally jumped off because there were clouds, so they were umming and eyeing whether we should do it or not. Mm. And it was a very surreal moment because... I was strapped to this six foot two kind of Spanish speaking hunk of a man in this <laughs> what looked like a sack. And he didn't speak much English. And I said to him, I said, uh, I said, well, what do I do? What do I do? And he says, when I say run, run, when I say jump, jump. <laughs> and firstly, I thought, I can't run, I'm in a sack. And secondly, I can't jump, I'm in a sack. <laughs> so basically, you're just going to fly off the edge of this mountain me into some clouds. But there was this one moment when we actually did it where I thought, you know, like when you do something exciting, you go, oh, that you, you think that you take a breath in. Mm. But what I discovered is that when you do something that terrifying, actually you do the exact opposite. You exhale out, like you're winded. Right. And that's what I did. And I exhaled so quickly that I thought I was going to pass out because <laughs> that's what your body does when you're really scared. So I thought, I'll put that in my bank. If, or if I'm yeah. doing some kind of filming or something where I have to do something that exciting, I will remember to breathe out and not in. <laughs> Oh, right. So that's almost what the involuntary scream or the shout is yes. in those moments. Yeah, it, it was exactly that. It took me by mm. surprise. And then I flew for the next eight minutes and literally was a bird for eight minutes. I mm. just flew. And I thought that was one of the most extraordinary moments of my life. <laughs> that's high, though, isn't it, up there? It is. It's very, very high. <laughs> um, it's higher than a lot of the birds when we started. Mm. And I was terrified, but also so incredibly excited. So yeah. that's why I'd want to capture that moment and that memory and put that in there. <laughs> yes. No, I'm not surprised. What were you doing there? Were you on holiday? Yes, I'd, I'd actually gone on holiday with a friend of mine who works for British Airways. He's my my gay best friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, come on, let's do this. And of course, he, typically we go all the way up in this little van up to the top of the mountain. And as I'm getting strapped in, he goes, I can't do this shit. And he ran <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> and he drove back down and I was screaming, you blah, 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 blah. Bet, yeah. It's like, get back here right now. <laughs> <laughs> but so, you went through with it. I mean, I went through with it. It's and a brave thing to do, I think. <laughs> it, was, it was great fun, though. Absolutely great fun. And, and after that, I just like anything with heights. I like jumping off very tall things and basically any activity in which there's a possibility I might die. <laughs> seems to be very exciting for me. <laughs> Well, I think that's understandable because actually whenever you do do those things which are terrifying and you overcome them, the sense of achievement is amazing, isn't it? Because it would be so easy to go, no, no, I don't do that. I can't do that. And and for many people, they do shut off almost all those experiences with a simple no. Yeah. Uh, As actors, we'll know that a lot of people say, I don't understand how you can possibly walk onto a stage. Yeah. And to an extent, that's slightly the same thing, isn't it? That you walk on thinking, well, this may be completely disastrous. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I think that's kind of why we do what we do. I think from what I've figured out, there are risk takers in life and then there are others who like to feel very safe. And from a very young age, I knew that I didn't want 
just an ordinary life. I just knew I didn't. But I didn't quite know what it was going to be. I thought it might be dance because I loved to dance when I was younger. Mm. And then literally there was the day that I was meant to be on stage in one of my kind of A-level reviews. I used to write these funny sketches. <laughs> and the girl that I'd written sketches for was not well. And my teacher said, well, you know them, you wrote them. So you go on and do it. And I was terrified. Mm. But I did it and I got the biggest buzz I've ever got from my life. And I thought, yeah, this is it. This is it. This is yeah. the the dangerous thing that I want to do. <laughs> so did you then decide that the way to do it was to go to England? Yes, it was, because I had a choice from Hong Kong to go either to New York to study at a mm. drama school there or to go to England. And I had such a love for for Shakespeare and the classics that I just thought, Oh, it's a no-brainer for me. I've got to go. Mm. And my parents had lived here in the 50s very briefly. Right. So we had family here. So they said, well, why don't you go and, you know, live with my mum's brother for a bit and just do a year of drama school, see if you like it. Well, they didn't quite say that. My mum went, I hate you because you're not going to be a lawyer anymore. <laughs> <laughs> my dad, who'd always wanted to be an actor, I think, secretly, he was like, right. oh, go on, let her go do this, let her try and I, I remember auditioning, I'd come here in the summer before and I'd auditioned for every drama school under the sun. And then I, we couldn't afford, to be honest, we couldn't afford any of them because I was an overseas student. Um, right. So I had to pay and it was very expensive. The full fees, yeah. The full fees. And mm. they are not, I, even in those days, I'm talking something like two or three thousand pounds for a term. Yeah. But to us, that was the equivalent of about 20 or 30 grand, you know, mm. just couldn't mm. afford it. I thought that was my mum's kind of way of saying, no, 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 you can't go. But <laughs> genuinely, we couldn't. So I thought, oh, this is never going to happen. And then I got into London Theatre School in Wandsworth, a tiny little school, nothing to write home about, but we could afford it. <laughs> so we went off to that and I thought, mm. okay. And that's kind of where it took off from. Yeah, you just need that launch pad, don't you? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. As with Sugarloaf Mountain. As a, <laughs> you know, yeah. when a man says run, run. You run. When, when he, he says, says jump, jump, you jump. Yeah. And also, they insisted, while I was strapped in, this pen is put in my hand. And I'm like, what is this? Sign, sign, here, sign, sign. And I'm going, sign what? <laughs> and he's saying, no sign, no jump. And I'm thinking, what is it? And I've got my friend running off in the distance. And I thought, oh, what the hell? I just signed because I thought maybe it's to make sure. I don't know, it's a credit card statement. I have no idea. I just signed. Mm. Next thing I know, after we did the jump and we landed on this beach, <laughs> it signed my life away. It said, you know, if anything happens to you and you die, it's not our fault. No. <laughs> That's what I'd signed away. And I thought, oh, my word. Oh, you know, I should have listened to my parents. <laughs> wow. Jumping off a mountain, landing on a beach. Yeah. What a thing to remember. That's, That's amazing. Cool. That's fantastic. Okay, that goes in. That's number two. What okay. other jumps would you like to put in? <laughs> Okay, as you may know, you can get this podcast without adverts with Acast Plus. But until then, here are some ads. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Welcome back. Right, let's return to Nina Wadia and discover what else from her life she would like to have in her time capsule. Well, this one I'd like to put in. It's um, <laughs> this is it's probably something you should never put in a time capsule because it will be disgusting when you open it again. But <laughs> I have to put it in because it's my favorite thing in the world. Is my combination of chocolate and cheese. <laughs> Right. So, my from a, <laughs> when my children were born, they would say, "I love you, mummy. I love you." I said, "No, no, no. How much do you love me?" And they go, "We love you very much." I said, "No. How much do you love me?" <laughs> so I trained them to say, "They love me." Chocolate, cheese, and infinity. <laughs> Basically, meaning that is what I think life should be about: <laughs> a bit of chocolate, a bit of cheese. And then you have this sort of infinite space for love. <laughs> so I would put in a piece of chocolate, a piece of cheese, and the infinity sign. <laughs> right. I love it. Now, do you eat them together then? Um, no, no, no. Of course, no. no I don't. I don't. I, I just I know that sometimes cheese works with a sweet thing. So yeah. I've had cheese with honey. Oh That's yes, yeah. Nice. And and I've had chocolate with chili on it. You know, mm. like I I love those kind of things. But I just meant like two yes. individual pieces of both things which I know it sounds really stupid and it will be rotten, which might actually be quite funny when you open the box. <laughs> you get a a certain smell. <laughs> I'll have to freeze-dry them. Actually, that's a good idea. Yes, please. Cryogenically freeze them. <laughs> Cryogenically see. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> but the infinity sign, there it is, you see. It's there yeah. forever. Yes, forever, and it's just forever love. That's it. They have to love me that much. <laughs> mm. I'm sure they do. <laughs> I like chocolate. I'm not allowed to eat chocolate anymore. I've been... Uh, oh. No, I know. I have type 2 diabetes, which to oh, a large extent no. is my own fault. Really I brought it on that. myself. And now I do have it, and so I have to watch my diet. And, yes. you know, there are many times when I look at a bar of chocolate and think that would be nice. But cheese, I think I would really <laughs> struggle if I couldn't eat cheese. I love cheese. <laughs> me too, me mm. too. And I re only really discovered cheese when I got to England because cheese in India is, I mean, you get that Indian paneer cheese, which I never liked, or mm. you get a really weird block of kind of wood that they call cheddar. <laughs> <laughs> India is not known for its cheese, really. No. So I discovered it. And then when I went traveling in Europe, oh my gosh, when I went to France, honestly, mm. I think I put on about two stone in two weeks because <laughs> I discovered cheese. I was like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I absolutely love it. And my grandma actually, she used to live in Ealing and when she was not well and towards the end of her life, we used to look after her. And at night time, she wasn't really allowed to have not much food, really. Mm. But she would come and she'd go, Nina, cheese, just a small <laughs> bit of cheese. And I'd sneak her up this tiny cube like it was the most exciting thing in the world to do, <laughs> to take my grandma a piece of cheese. <laughs> yeah, it's the best thing in the world to be restricted and then be able to break out, I always think. Yes, definitely, mm. definitely. But, you know, you mentioned diabetes, so my son got diagnosed with um, type 1 type five one, years ago. Right, and yeah. that was a mm. big wake-up call for all of us in the family, uh, you know. Not that it's related to anything in particular. It was a, it's a random condition that yeah, anyone yeah. can get at any time. Mm. Um, but it made us really wake up to what we need to be eating or not eating. Or So, uh, yeah, he's probably the healthiest person in the family, to be honest, because, you know, when you do get something, you have to look after yourself. Yes. And you inadvertently end up becoming the healthiest person in the family. <laughs> yes, true. So my grandchildren have suddenly decided to be vegetarian, which oh. I admire enormously. Yeah. And I'm yeah. very happy to back it because I yeah. wish I had the willpower. And in fact, I'm heading that way, but I still yeah. occasionally eat meat. Yes. Their desire to do this when they say, Said we're going to become vegetarian. I said, okay. Yeah. At when? And they said, Christmas. Yes. And I said, well, just before Turkey, <laughs> they went Boxing Day. Oh. <laughs> and that was it. So their last meal with any meat was Christmas lunch. And they haven't had wow. any since. And I expected them to not keep it up. And they've done it. That's brilliant. How little faith do I have in these children? <laughs> Truth be known, if I said to my son, can you be vegetarian? He would literally run out the house screaming and on fire. <laughs> since he was a little boy, in fact, I had 
massive meat cravings when I was pregnant with them because my iron was very low, mm. which I found out afterwards. I was slightly anemic. So I was, while I was pregnant with my son, I think I was eating three donut kebabs a day <laughs> because that was the only way I could get enough meat into my body. Yeah. And when he was born, oh my goodness, this child from a very young age, it was embarrassing, you know, even at age five, taking him to a barbecue because sausages would go missing, a couple of burgers, <laughs> some steak, and be like, I'm so sorry that I brought my son to your barbecue. <laughs> my son, the uh, carnivore. Completely. Yes. <laughs> it is impossible to get him to stop right now. And right now he's in his, I'm going to gym to bulk up, mum, phase. Mm. So he's eating about 4,000 calories a day. Wow. And I have to beg him to stop eating red meat. I just stopped buying it. And I insisted we have at least two vegetarian days per week to stop him eating that much meat. Mm. But yeah. <laughs> no. A lot of Indian food is vegetarian, isn't it? Yes. yes. Yeah. There is. I mean, the, the certain communities are pure vegetarian and some mm. have the occasional bit of fish. That's about it. They're pescatarian. Yeah. So, but a lot of Indian food, though, you know, you can have very oily, heavy, salt-riddled food. So, mm. Because we did notice when I joined the organ donation campaign that a lot of the South Asian community were the people that wanted or needed kidney transplants more than any other community. Right. Um, and it's because of the diet, you know. Uh. Indian food is not a healthy diet, you mm. know. A lot of it's fried. Even though it's vegetarian, it does use a lot of ghee and oils and stuff. Mm -hmm. But now you can have sort of fusion Indian food, which is absolutely beautiful so yes. it's kind of like you get the flavors but you don't get all the bad stuff the fats mm. and the you know the salt so it's nice <laughs> lovely so your family are parsi aren't they yes yeah and that's such a fantastically ancient religion yeah it's, it's amazing uh, that it survived really yeah it is it is considering there's only what 150,000 of us left in the world to Incredible, be honest I know. it's the oldest monotheistic religion in the world and what I love about it is that it's a very simple religion. Mm. The religion is based on three Persian words, which translated mean good thoughts, good words, good deeds. Oh. Basically, be a good human being. Mm. That's the religion. <laughs> you know, it's like there's no, you can't eat this, you can't drink that. You've got to, you know, stand and face a wall because you looked at someone's bum. <laughs> it's that, mm. I don't know why I said that, but <laughs> it's literally, <laughs> it's literally. Sounds like Catholicism to me. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I genuinely don't know why I say that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's a humanist religion. It's self-moralizing. You do something bad to another human being, you figure out how to make it right and apologize for it. Mm. So it makes you think as you're growing up. It makes you decide what is good and what is bad, you know, because it's, it's one of the first religions that acknowledge that there's good and evil on earth. Right. And our purpose of being on this earth is to be good people and mm. to fight whatever that negativity or that bad stuff is. It is the basis of most religions as far as I'm concerned anyway. Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism. Yeah. Yeah, That's it's right. a hard one. I think it's fading out because people can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. Try my husband's name, Ryomond. Oh my God, it's one of the 101 names of the prophet. So it's mm -hmm. like, oh my word. <laughs> his, his own parents spelt his name wrong on our wedding invites. Um, yeah, that was quite something. That's brilliant. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's something that, you know, we'd spoken to our kids about when they were born because you, you get to choose whether you want to go into the religion or not when you're mm -hmm. sort of you know, nine, 10 years old. So it's a time where we basically explained what it was to them and they kind of just went, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's like, you know, this, it's a no brainer really, you know, because mm. I was, when I was brought up in India and we had to do our prayers before we ate and mum and dad kind of brought us up in a quite a strict way that way. But as I've gotten older, I've just said to my kids, look, you know the difference between good and bad. Mm. And you make those decisions um, if you need to talk them through to, you know, realize what it is or decide. I said, that's fine. But just realize you do something that's going to hurt someone else. You will feel bad. Mm -hmm. You know, you will feel bad about it. That kind of guilt that will sit with you will not sit well. So mm. make those decisions carefully. Yeah, now I'm going to read more about it. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to learn to say it properly. 
<laughs> well, I just listened to Queen and Freddie Mercury, who was a Parsi, and, yeah. and that makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you want to live forever? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I've got a lovely piece of chocolate, <laughs> really good quality chocolate, and I've got some cheese. Well, I'll give you a variety of cheese board <laughs> and, and an infinity symbol that goes in. That's number three. How marvellous. OK, let's move on to number four. Oh, gosh, you know, number four I struggle with because there's so many things I would want to fit into that time capsule. Mm. But <laughs> it's a picture of my mum and dad. It was literally just in my sister-in-law's house. But every time I look at this picture, I feel okay. So it's <laughs> my dad used to tickle my mum around the neck. Hmm. And it's a picture of the exact moment where she's sitting in this on the end of the sofa and he's on the on the arm bit of the sofa and he's leaning over to tickle her neck and she's got her neck scrunched up and she's laughing and he's got the biggest smile on his face. Oh. And I want that photo in there because that photo, whenever I'm feeling you know, utterly depressed and down, which I can do occasionally, whether it's about something that's happened to the family or whether it's my work or whatever. Mm. I just look at that photograph and it just makes me feel okay. So that's what I want to put in there. <laughs> How brilliant to capture that moment, though. Yeah. Because actually that would have been taken at a time when people didn't take that many photographs. Exactly. It's it's a rare one. Now we click, 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 click. And that's how I remember them. You know, I, lo I lost my parents, um, as far as I'm concerned, quite young still, you know, like I lost my mum in my late 20s and my dad in my mid 30s. And mm -hmm. for me, I kind of feel a bit angry because I feel like I missed out. You know, I was just at that point where... I started to really understand what they'd sacrificed to give us the lives we had. And I think what a horrible teenager I was. And, you know, I was just starting to get to the, the good stuff with my parents. Mm. So it made me so very angry, but I don't want to be angry about it anymore. So I want to remember the happy times with them. And, and I remember laughing a lot with my parents. So that, that moment is really captured. And I also don't, it's so interesting. I would, I would say I don't remember them ever really arguing but I only found out when my brother who's a lot older than me told me oh no they argued they just hide and argues because they didn't <laughs> want the kids to hear them argue oh, that's I was nice. like oh damn <laughs> yeah so um yeah that's what I'd want to put in the box <laughs> that's lovely that's a lovely thing to put in I think if you can picture your parents that way it yeah. really helps and it's a lovely time isn't it with parents when you as you say you get to the point where you forget all the anger you had as a teenager yeah. and for them to stop yeah. telling you what to do yeah. that's what really upsets most teenagers is they feel that somebody's trying to control them when they are trying to control their own life Completely. but then you go through it and you go away as it were you go away from your parents which I think almost everybody has to yes. in order to be able to come back and see them as people rather than just your parents that is the most brilliant way that you've put that together because that is exactly what it is. I'm going through the teenage stuff with my children right now mm -hmm. and I know that they will come back. And, you know, my daughter going off to university, like when she comes back, because we went through a very turmoily bit, if that's a word. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of kind of angst with her kind of just wanting to spread her wings and just yeah. be like, please just F off and leave me alone for yeah. a while, you know. And so I'm so glad that she has gone to university. The part of me was sad that she's leaving the house. Part of me was really happy that she allowed to be independent and I don't need to see everything she gets up to so that I have peace of mind that she's all right. No. Um, but then she's come back for a couple of visits and she's so much nicer. <laughs> <laughs> and you think... <sighs> we just needed to breathe a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> That's all yeah. it was. And then she goes away and realises actually what she's missing to an extent. Yeah. She sort yeah. of goes, oh, do you know what? I really love my mum and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so it's nice to see them. I have the most really yes. gorgeous photograph of my daughter. This is something that I've done this actually and I regret now that I didn't put it in because it is without a doubt my favourite photograph and it's yeah. it's my wife's, I think it was her 40th birthday party, maybe. Right. And my wife's yeah. born on Halloween. Right. So it was also a combined Halloween party. And we had neighbours and friends and we were having a lovely time. And I'd said to my daughter, do you think you can come back from university to see her? She'd love it. Yeah. And she said, well, it's a long way. She was in Lancaster and I lived down in Tunbridge Wells. Yeah. And bless her, she 
did come home, but of course she didn't oh. get home till about ten o'clock at night. Yeah. And I didn't tell my wife she was coming. So I have a photograph. Is as my wife turned, she went, Mum, and she turned to look. For a moment there was just a <laughs> lack of recognition, almost that yeah. thought of you're not supposed to be here. You can't be yeah. here. <laughs> and then the just tears and the joy of it, you know. It's, wow. it's such a beautiful photograph. That's amazing. Mm. That is amazing, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, how gorgeous. I'm going to put your dad just about to tickle your mum. <laughs> that photograph goes in there. I think we can all picture it, which is just yeah. what's so lovely about it. Thank you. No worries. Okay. Well, unfortunately, we've only got one left, which yes. is, is the thing you want to put in there so you can bury it and yeah. get rid of it. What it is is the sound of every stupid argument that I have ever had mm. with my husband, my son and my daughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Genuinely, I want to put that sound of that sort of frustration and anger and just stupidity because I know that's what it is, but we can't help ourselves when mm. it happens as any family can't help themselves in the moment. I want to take all of that, shove it into this little thing, this sort of sound capsule where it just dulls the sound <laughs> and throw that away yes. <laughs> and bury it deep in the ground so no one can hear the screams and shout. That's what I want to do. <laughs> in its own sealed, airtight, soundproof compartment. There you go, in a little soundproof compartment. That's what I want to do because mm. that is the negativity I want out of our lives and, you know, it's not something that can... It's part of your life. It's not something that you can take away. It's going to happen and it will still continue to happen because it's just part of everyday life. But I wish that I had more control over holding my tongue or Mm -hmm. biting my tongue or whatever it's called, just so that when I am angry about something or if I'm frustrated about trying to knock sense into a 15-year-old's head, Mm. that I could actually not scream and shout and instead just put it into this little chamber and chuck it. (laughs) It's strange with families, though, isn't it? Because you really wish that you could have the control that you do have in most other areas of your life. Absolutely. I mean, you wouldn't argue with a director that way, even though you may be really frustrated by it. You wouldn't argue with people in a shop or in the street. These are strangers, but people you love... You'll dive straight in there. It's weird. Completely. Completely. And we we say, like, in those moments of anger and frustration, we say the most cruel things Ah. to each other. Mm. So those are the things that I want in there. Because Mm. the apology is always forthcoming, as it is because you've lost control for that moment and whatever. But it just feels horrible when the moment's happening. Mm. So that's what I want to take away, is that kind of anger. I just want that to go. And it's it's interesting. I spoke to a therapist recently who said that it's healthy to have those arguments. It's healthy to fight and scream and shout sometimes. Mm -hmm. And she said, but, but, she said, when it comes to, especially when it comes to teenagers, she said, I wish I could just tell parents there's no point speaking to a teenager when they're in that zone. It's best to just be quiet, Mm. take the abuse and the anger, and then let them calm down. And then talk to them. Mm. But it's the moment in which it happens that it's like an out-of-body experience. <laughs> like, like I think only my children can say the thing that's going to hurt me the most. And I just go, I see red. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I want buried deep in the ground. Because I've gotten a lot better, but it's still there. <laughs> yes, no, I'm happy to bury it for you. Yes, but, I mean, I, I, it's strange that we don't learn, isn't it? That we, yeah. we take so long to learn even. Oh, completely. You know, I mean, I can't tell you the number of times my wife has just said to me, leave it. It's not, yeah. Don't do it now. Exactly what you're saying that therapist said. Yeah. She's very good at it. She's always been good at it. Yeah. Whereas I'm not. I'm much yeah. more instinctive, as it were. Oh, me too. And therefore don't think. Yeah. And there is this thing that, again, I asked this therapist, I, I asked her, I said, My instinct when I know I'm going to blow is I need to walk out of the space. I need to walk out of the space because I can, I can feel I'm about to blow. Mm. And when my husband and myself first got together, he grew up in Canada and his instinct is the opposite. No, let's talk about it. Let's talk it through. And I'm like, not now. I can't talk right now. (laughs) So we came from completely different worlds where, you know, I'm from this sort of fiery Indian background where it's Mm. just like, ah, just say it. It's done with. Move on. Whereas he comes from, no, let's just be calm. Even if you're angry, you just calm it down and talk it through. But I can't. I see red, so I need to go. Yeah. So there's this whole thing about, is it okay to walk away? 
during an argument. And I believe it is. I believe it's good to walk away and calm down. And he doesn't. <laughs> right. Yes, because if you are the sort of person who sees red, you will say things yeah. that you will regret. Oh, completely. And yeah. they'll haunt you yeah. as well. Yeah. I'm afraid that for most of my life, I am the same as you. Yeah. And I need to just get out of the room. Yeah. Unfortunately, I will then, after a couple of minutes, have thought about how I'm going to say it and come back in and say it. Yes. <laughs> Which is useless, absolutely useless. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. I think people have to handle things in different ways. And I think I've finally found my thing. We've come to a compromise where mm. I have to very calmly say, I need to go into another room, not just walk off. I have to no. say it. And that seems to be least working, holding so far. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, but how encouraging that we can all do this. We can all go through this and still love each other. Yeah, Mm. definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Next time you feel like that, look at that photograph of your mum and dad. Yes, I I hunt for it when I do. I'm like, where's that thing? (laughs) (laughs) That image will work for all of us, you know. We don't need the photograph. It's a lovely thing to hear about, but it, it works for all of us. Think of those moments. Yes, I mean, it's it's also why we got a dog, I'll be honest, you know, because everyone has said how wonderful it is to have an animal in the house, you know, it's unconditional love. And he's actually changed our lives. We've only had him a year and a half, but my goodness, the joy that he brings. Mm-hmm. And so if we ever feel like one of us is getting angry, we just put the dog in that person's <laughs> arms and you can't help but laugh because <laughs> dog starts licking you on the face and then you play with him and... And just the anger dissipates. So I think that's really, really good to do. (laughs) Lovely. Well, I've sealed it. I've sealed those arguments and the noise of that in that room and it's gone. Thank you. (laughs) Nina, it's what a lovely joy it is to talk to you. And thank you so much for giving me your time. I know how busy you are. And rightly so. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. No, you're so easy to talk to. (laughs) Bless you. OBE, which uh, for me stands for, oh, bloody hell. (laughs) (laughs) You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Nina Wadia. I hope you had fun listening. Again, as with earlier, you can skip the next bit if you're a regular listener. You can rejoin me for my joke in about, uh, let's say, 45 seconds. Right. Remaining listeners, please subscribe to this podcast and do rate and review it if you can before you move on. I and my time capsule are both separately on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, so we get very little time to ourselves, as you can imagine. If you've nothing better to do, then join us. You can download and stream the theme tune by Pass the Peas Music on Spotify. There we are, that is something better to do. Our thanks to ACAST for putting this podcast out, of course. It was a cast-off production, and the producer was John Fenton-Stevens. Right, 45 seconds up in five, four, three... And it's buried under the strange rock that is clearly out of place, beneath the large oak tree at the top of the hill. So, see you in Mexico. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 